2023. And today we're going to be talking with Kevin Moore about WebAssembly. Now, before we jump into that, let's introduce our host so that the audience knows who's up here talking and asking the questions. My name is Matt Carroll. I'm a former member of the Flutter team. I provide Flutter development services at superdeclarative.com. I also run the Flutter Bounty Hunters, where we work exclusively on open source Flutter and Dart packages. So if your company would like to save money by funding open source tools instead of building all the tools yourself, check out flutterbountyhunters.com. Now, co-hosting with me today is Ray Lee. We're happy to have you back. How's it going, Ray? Hey, Matt. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, good to be back. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit better, but still, uh, it's still tough. Uh, so, hi everyone. My name is Ray Lee. Uh, so I'm the CEO and founder of Codelessly. Uh, Codelessly is a visual editor uh, for Flutter for building Flutter web and apps. So, um, if you're tired of coding and you want to build Flutter apps visually, um, then Codelessly is a great way to do so. Thanks, Ray. And I, uh, we missed Ray last week. He was out for a week. We're glad to have him back and, uh, and looking forward to questions that he might have for Kevin here in a few minutes. As a reminder for the audience, we've published a website to help keep track of the show. You can find it at flutterspaces.com. We're also publishing these spaces to a podcast called Flutter Spaces, which is available on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. So today we're happy to have Kevin Moore join us to talk about WebAssembly for Dart and Flutter. We'll begin the conversation with some kind of pre-canned questions so that we can establish a foundation for the discussion. But after that, we'd like to bring up as many of you in the audience as possible to ask your questions of Kevin about WebAssembly. Uh, as always, you know these spaces are about you, the community. We want you to get your questions answered, your comments heard. So we do encourage as much participation as possible. Along the way, if you decide that you do have a question or a comment, you can press your mic button, which will let myself and Ray know that you'd like to speak. We'll bring you up on stage, and then at the appropriate time, we'll call your name, and you'll be welcome to say whatever you'd like to Kevin, get your question answered, have Kevin hear your comment, etc. Uh, so Kevin, welcome to Flutter Spaces. We appreciate you taking the time. Before we get into WebAssembly, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Um, I'd love to. Can you hear me okay? Yep, you're good. Wonderful. Yeah, my name is Kevin Moore. I'm a product manager on the Flutter and Dart teams. Um, I'm based out of Seattle. The Dart team and Dart and Flutter are all over the world, so it's good to know kind of where I'm landing. Um, <clears throat> I just passed my 10-year anniversary at Google, which is pretty insane. So I've been working on, started out with just Dart and then Flutter um, for 10 years now, which is great. A lot of people move around in the company, and I've just been delighted with people I work with, and it's been a great experience. Um, yeah, so my, my ownership area on the team is all things web. So our two JavaScript compilers, our WebAssembly compiler, um, kind of on the Dart side, the evolution of how we do JavaScript interop or just interop with the browser in general, the browser APIs, and then on the Flutter side, you know, our Flutter web authoring offering. So, you know, spending a lot of time lately thinking about how WebAssembly plugs into that world, thinking about the evolution of JS interop, um, you know, things like multi-view, which we're working on now, um, all the stuff related to web and running Flutter in the browser. All right, great. Well, thanks for that, Kevin. Um, and yeah, and as as we go through the conversation, of course, if we 
if we somehow manage to cover all the things related to WebAssembly, then by all means, the audience should feel um, you should feel that you can ask questions about any of those other areas that Kevin just mentioned. Because while we have Kevin here, let's learn everything that we can about what he's doing and uh, and his history with Dart and Flutter. So let's jump into the WebAssembly discussion. I'd like to start at a high level, just do some level setting here for the audience. Let's forget about Dart and Flutter for a moment. Kevin, can you tell us from your perspective, what what is WebAssembly and why was it created? That's a great question. The history of this is fascinating and overlapping with kind of my career journey at Google. So, um, you know, 2000, 2013, um, when I joined Google, um, Dart was part of the Chrome team. And Chrome was doing a bunch of experiments at the time. So, you know, obviously Dart was going on, there's this thing called Mojo, and which is related to some experiments that basically became what Flutter was. Um, obviously Chromecast and Chromebooks were kind of coming out of the Chrome team at the time. They pivoted around, but I think they, the name stuck. And uh, Google had this technology called NACL. It stands for um, NACL, so it looked kind of like, you know, there's all these references about salt. That's NACL, uh, sodium chloride, if people are curious. Um, and it was native client is what it stood for, stood for. And the idea was you take native code, like so it was actually x86 or ARM assembly effectively, but it was a subset. And the idea was if, you know, they had their own plugins for compilers and things. And the idea is you compile this code and you had to stay within certain bounds in terms of the kind of things that you you did and what the compiler was allowed to admit. And they would runtime verify this, this code, this native client code, um, really fast. I remember it was a megabyte a second. Was They were very excited that we can verify that it was effectively sound assembly, which is a weird thing to think about. They'd verify all the things around jumps and everything else. And the idea was effectively what kind of it evolved into what native client was, which was, you know, JavaScript is great. And obviously, a bunch of people that started the Dart team um, were on the V8 team before. And they really were the folks that figured out you could make JavaScript fast. But there was an upper limit to how fast you can make JavaScript just because of its nature in many ways. And I can get into some specifics if you are curious. I'll, I'll skip that for now just to make it brief. And so there are two, effectively, two experiments. was like, oh, how can we make the experience in the browser faster? One was Dart, and one was this native client thing. And then I think the folks at Mozilla saw the native client thing. And obviously it was, you know, it was open in so far as it was part of the Chromium project, but they're like, well, could we do something with assembly? And so the first thing, and then people should go look at the history here, there's a thing called Asm.js, which is literally a subset of JavaScript. And the idea with Asm.js is if you wrote JavaScript in a certain way, and so like the numbers were limited to 32-bit numbers, because you can't represent a 64-bit integer accurately because they use double. So, but if you do 32-bit math, and I remember looking at the source code, there's all these like um, or operators and things that basically forced the V8 compiler and effectively, I think SpiderMonkey, I forget the one in, in is SpiderMonkey the JS runtime in Firefox, I think? I forget which one it is. I have no anyway, idea. So anyway, your, your guess is good. Anyway, these things basically would guarantee, would force the runtimes to say, oh, this is only ever going to be 32-bit math, 32-bit integer math. So they can optimize things. Um, and so it was an insanely hilariously restricted, basically what WebAssembly gives you, right? It was like numbers and lists. And they were able to optimize Firefox to, if it saw and sniffed that JavaScript was of this flavor, basically treat it like a low-level assembly. Because like JavaScript can get really wonky, and I can get into that later. And they were able to get really high performance out of it. And so the ASM.js, so ASM.js was the project. 
And that evolved into what became WebAssembly. And so one of the ma main leaders that I'm aware of is Luke Wagner, who's now at, I think he's at Fastly, who's actually driving a bunch of the component model stuff and get into that in a bit too. Um, they started this effort, which is like, well, let's, let's standardize this thing. Let's not do this one-off platform specific thing that Google is doing with native client, which is still good. I mean, still interesting. And Asm.js seems like a hack on JavaScript, an interesting experiment. Like, let's like, what if we wanted to make a super secure, super portable, super fast? And again, people that work in low-level stuff realize, like, you know, it's the whole like, you know, pick two. Like, here's three cool things you want. Pick two, maybe. Right? Just hard. Constraints are make things hard. This idea of like, oh, we want it to be portable and fast and secure, um, and maximally flexible. Like, frankly, as a target for many languages. And they came up with this WebAssembly thing. And my memory of it, I, I forget how long WebAssembly as a concept has been around. Um, it hasn't been on, I think, maybe six years, seven years. It hasn't, you know, it's relatively new. But the speed with which all the browsers, you know, Firefox and Chromium and um, Safari all adopted it and released it, it was record, like the fact that this all came out so quickly. Um, so as a concept, it's been around for years. And the idea was this, right? Like, can we have something, JavaScript, you can optimize it like crazy. And the, it's frankly magic, the runtime work they've done with the JavaScript engines to get the perf out of JS that you they can. But that comes at a cost. You need to have a JDN compiler. Um, you need to make a bunch of assumptions about the, the paths the code takes through JS. And you need to, you know, all the optimizations you make around assuming how big numbers are, assuming that certain things will stay Boolean, that things stay typed, even assuming that the shape of objects, like the prototype of objects doesn't change. Like I get a, some hot loop where I'm going through a thousand times through a loop. And the thousand at the first time, the prototype for an object can completely change. You just walk into the prototype and mutate things. There's actually some, been some changes to JavaScript lately that make it so you can't do those things. But that was kind of where things started. There's always, you always have to have all these like fallouts and all these catches, um, all these opportunities to de-optimize because things might change at runtime. And so WebAssembly gets rid of all that. And it also starts this notion of secure by default. So in the JavaScript world, I'm running JavaScript, I have access to the entire, I have access to global, right? Um, so if I have a piece of JavaScript running in a web page, I can access the global, I can access window and document and do whatever I want. And there's all these crazy hacks people do to try to restrict what the JavaScript has access to. Um, but really, the security of JavaScript is not so much the implementation of JavaScript itself. It's the browser sandbox, which comes with the cost of having multiple nested processes. I'm sure people have opened up their task manager and seen how many processes are open in, in Firefox or Chrome. And the idea of WebAssembly was like, no, we'll be secure by default. So WebAssembly, by default, has access to nothing. It can access the memory that you give it, and it can do math. And that is it. If you wanted to have access to objects in the browser or other interesting things, they have to be explicitly granted to WebAssembly. And so this secure by default thing has really been fascinating. And actually, we could spend attention on this. WebAssembly on the cloud, WebAssembly on servers is going to be as big or probably bigger than WebAssembly um, in the browser. Because it turns out having something that's super portable, super fast, um, super secure, is exactly what you want in a microservices kind of architecture. Um, so that kind of gets us to this year in terms of WebAssembly. And obviously, you know, things like Google Maps, um, Google Earth, uh, um, I'm gonna think what else, you know, the effects that you see in Google Meet, um, all the cool effects around, you know, shaders and things. Um, a lot of stuff is written in WebAssembly. Um, people have lots of games written, 
that do things in WebAssembly, and it's being used more and more all over the place. And then the big thing this year is that they've added garbage collection, and that's what Dart uses. So if you're talking a lot, I'm going to stop there and see if you want to direct me in a way. But that's kind of, I think that kind of brings us up to the, pre the present day with, uh, with WebAssembly. I think that's a, a great introduction. Again, gives everyone a little bit of sense of the history, how we got here, what it is, and where we're going. Um, it's, it's interesting when you brought up ASMJS because it, it triggered a memory I had from you know, some number of years ago watching a lecture on what I thought was WebAssembly. But I remember the lecture was just saying, hey, what if we take a, a strict subset of JavaScript and we kind of treat it as base level assembly? And I guess that that must not have been a WebAssembly lecture. It must have been an ASMJS lecture, which had me confused for a few years. So I was like, well, wait a second. Is it is it a shared assembly language or is it just a subset of JavaScript? But I think you just clarified that distinction for me. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm also... Go, go ahead. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, look at the source code. I'm sure you could find it. This is the beauty of Google. The source code for ASM is hilarious because it's like, if you wanted to write an assembly that had to be valid JavaScript, how would you write it? And it's, you know, you know, uh, lots of shifts and, you know, oring things with one and all these little tricks that you do to basically force the JS compilers to assume and trust math doesn't go beyond 32 bits. And it's it's a little bit of a trip if anyone took, you know, computer science or computer engineering, how that all works. Right. Although I kind of feel like that's just re a regular day in JavaScript land. Oh, yeah. But I guess that's, they, they probably I'm sure, sure took it to an extreme. Yeah. But it's also interesting to me that it's called WebAssembly. Because, you know, so I'm listening to kind of your motivation and your description of where it can go. We talk about it running on a server, for example. It uh, is there actually a foundational relationship to the web, or is WebAssembly really kind of a protocol for assembly language that any number of of platforms, manufacturers, developers can choose to implement and use, regardless of the existence of the web? So, I mean, ignoring the web right now is you know everything's connected to the web in some ways. At least you can say that. Um, it it and architectural, like if you read the WebAssembly spec, it's like these jokes about like, you know, Java is the JavaScript is ham is to, you know, hamster. Like these names that really don't have an overlap. Um, sure. So yeah, WebAssembly, it's kind of a history lesson because it was designed as this very secure thing for, you know, it's requirements of the web, right? You want something that's super portable, lightweight, and highly secure. But it has nothing to do fundamentally with the browser. Um, and then, obviously, when you think about running WebAssembly, often in the context of browsers, you could assume there's a JavaScript engine, you assume there's a browser. But that's really implementation detail. Like, there's all these, you know, there's Wasmr and Wasmi, not Was, I forget, Wasmr is the one that comes to mind. There's a few other Wasm runtimes, and they don't, they're meant to be completely headless. There's no assumption the browser's there at all. Um, and WebAssembly itself has no assumption of browser. I mean, that's actually... There are no browser idioms at all in the core WebAssembly spec. There's some other standards coming along to allow better interrupt with JavaScript, for instance. But it is just a portable, secure, lightweight assembly language. That's it. Is there even, I mean, looking at web, less about browsers and more about kind of networking, IP, things like that. Is there even a particular dependency 
on the existence of a network stack, for example, like beyond just a, a normal programming language, having a core library with a network client? Is, is there any deeper connection to the broader web uh, or is it truly just a, a portable assembly language protocol? That is the brilliance of this. It is just an assembly language. That is it. Um, there are some specs coming along. You know, there's things that deal with SIMD. Um, you know, I can get into the component model in WASI. I'm more of a spectator in that world. I'm not involved, but I, I care about it and I pay attention a bit. So there are some specs coming up there, but that really is the beauty of that, of WebAssembly. Like it is, it is tight and tiny and minimal and makes very few assumptions about the runtime. You can bring, you can, you can inject and, you know, hoist in um, access to the browser APIs or, or WebGL or networking or DOM or anything you want. Of course, but the core WASM thing is just an assembly language. Any more than ARM has any specific, you know, instructions to deal with anything specific to networking or browsers. Like it's just an assembly language. Great. It's, yeah, that sounds like it probably will maximize the utility over time. It's funny because so people talk to us about you know WebAssembly with Flutter, and they're like, "Oh, will this make search engine indexing better, or will this, you know?" And I was like, "It's completely orthogonal." I mean, there's interesting things there too that if you run out of WebAssembly talk um, topics. Um, <clears throat> But it has nothing to do, the only thing that it has to do with the rendering stack is it lets us do the computations we need to do in terms of layout and you know manipulation to go faster. But there's nothing specific about, it's completely orthogonal to how we do rendering. It's just swap out JavaScript with WASM and it helps us do compute faster and more efficiently. Right, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, let me take this moment just to remind the audience that we'd, we'd love to bring in audience questions at any point. I'm going to I'm going to continue asking Kevin some questions that I have and I'll I'll probably hand over to Ray soon as well to ask any that he has. But again, we want to make sure that you, the audience, the Flutter community, that you are getting your questions answered. If you'd like to ask Kevin a question, please just hit that mic button and either myself or Ray will bring you up on stage and call your name out when we're ready to hand things over to you. Uh, but now Kevin moving back to what you were uh, talking about. You mentioned that that browsers kind of adopted or started to adopt WebAssembly in record time. Uh, do you have a sense for, you know, were there specific problems in the browser industry, specific problems that WebAssembly would clearly solve in the moment these browsers saw it, they said, yes, that's the solution to this problem. Can, can you illustrate any specific problems in that space? I think the biggest one was um, there is so much, you know, you're talking to a guy who worked at Microsoft for five years, and everyone's evolved here a lot, you know. Um, there was this paradigm that if you want to do rich, you know, if you want to like browse through news or recipes or Wikipedia, that's for the web. But if you want to do any serious work, he says with finger quotes, oh, well, install a native application, right? And the realization was, I think with WebAssembly was, there's this huge corpus of very well-maintained, um, very efficient native code, you know, I mean, starting out in season C++, you know, more so in Rust lately, that it's sad that we just can't use it on the web too. And so, you know, Photoshop was probably one of the, the best examples and one that, you know, and AutoCAD too is actually just a crazy example the Chrome team worked on initially. I know, I think uh, Photoshop was one of the launch partners with WebAssembly, which was, you know, is there fun anything fundamental about Photoshop that it can't be run in a browser? The answer is no, like you have accelerated graphics in the browser. You know, if you can access, it's like all these assumptions around needing native access to local APIs. It's like, well, if you have 
if you have local storage, you probably want to have sufficient local storage so you can store big images. Um, but you can prompt the user for that. Like, is there any reason why you can't have Photoshop in a browser? And the answer was no. Um, is there any reason why you can't have super rich accelerated 3D experiences in the web? The answer is no. Um, you know, and people have been able, again, this is the Asm.js thing, and that's what started out. Like, people were compiling C++ to JavaScript effectively. And there's just so much waste in that model. It's like, let's just optimize the path. And so that was, the, I think, the big thing was like, can we get, JavaScript has gotten way better. I mean, and the V8 folks, I mean, all the other browsers have done a great job as well. But V8 was really on the vanguard here. Of like, could we make JavaScript a real world language? And clearly, it's kind of taken the world over. But even at its most optimized, there's still so much perf being left on the table. And that's what WebAssembly does. It's like, now we're within, for lots of scenarios, we're within a rounding error of native speeds. You know, it never gets to 100% because just, you know, it needs to be secure. It needs to be able to validate its instructions. You need to make sure that you can't just do arbitrary jumps to arbitrary memory and change registers. There's a bunch of stuff. And you also pay, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to say it's a trivial amount, to make sure it's portable, right? Like starting with a source language, compiling it all the way to native ARM or native, you know, um, Intel and knowing, you know, all the freaking SMD and all the things, you always get more efficient code that way. But it gets to the point where it's, it's within a rounding error, like 5% within 10%. And that's huge in terms of the kind of experiences you can have. For sure. It's, it's actually funny that you bring up Photoshop uh, just as the example of like, you know, is there any fundamental reason why you can't do that in the browser? Because when I was in the Flutter team, I actually brought up that same thing many times about Flutter. I said, you know, kind of as a benchmark, uh, why don't we look? Why don't we imagine that someone wants to build Photoshop with a Flutter user interface? Is there any fundamental reason that they shouldn't be able to do that? And what are the things standing between where we are and someone's ability to do that? And that was, you know, that was part of the reason um, from a Flutter perspective that I was many many years ago. I was saying you gotta you gotta support custom shaders. You can't you have to open up that pipeline because again, from my view, you should be able to build Photoshop at least with a Flutter user interface. But so it's interesting to hear that you mentioned that kind of the same litmus test was mentioned in the browser. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that it seems that in both places, the answer is, uh, yes, you should be able to do that. No, there's no fundamental reason why, why you can't or why you shouldn't. Right. Yep. Um, um, now, so, so looking at kind of uh, the WebAssembly development process, how would you characterize its current level of completeness for general use? You, uh, you already mentioned that garbage collection is a recent de uh, development. Obviously, that's critical for the world of Dart. Um, so, but, it, but zooming out and looking at the overall development process and pipeline, how would you characterize that level of completeness currently? For, as, a as a Dart developer? I, I mean, in just in terms of, of WebAssembly in general, where it is, where it wants to go, how how close would you say it is to maybe stability or some concept of completeness, regardless of of dark? Um, so you know, I'd uh, make sure I get that right before I tell people. Um, WebAssembly WebAssembly.org is where people should go, and if you click on future features, um, you'll see kind of where things are. Um, in terms of proposals and things, and so there's. It's very much like JavaScript. They try to be very mindful of this. And this is actually work we're going through right now, which is just kind of the MVP. Um, actually, they call that. So 2017, 
um, was the day, the November 2017. So we just passed six years with WebAssembly. The MVP came out. And so that kind of set a baseline for the implementation of WebAssembly. And so if you are using modern compilers, you know, GCC, LLVM, using C, C++, Rust, I think there is even some work in Go and a few other languages. Um, C Sharp, I know, has some WebAssembly work as well. Um, it's very stable. So if you're using Google Maps, Google Earth, I think Google Photos, um, you know, any number of things, you can just look to see if, I mean, WebAssembly is getting in all, all over the place. It's getting in all the nooks and crannies. Um, you can just see if there's WASM on your, you know, loaded in the network tab in, in uh, Chrome. And what's super exciting about it is for many cases, we're, it's doing it in a way that's just an implementation detail. So there are cases in NPM now, or if you depend on a package in NPM um, for browser work, I think even on the back end, frankly, um, you know, the ability to just swap out the guts of, a, of a, an NPM package with WASM, and it just works. Like, you know, um, and Scripten, which is the, the compiler additions and, and uh, the compiler additions to LLVM to handle WebAssembly, it will take, you know, the native types, you know, strings and other things, structs, and do the translation. So you still have a pretty, a pretty with finger quotes, uh, JS API, but it handles the translation and everything into WebAssembly and back. There's some thunking back and forth to make that all work, but it works. And so I think there are cases likely where people are using packages in NPM and maybe not even realizing that there's actually WebAssembly inside. I mean, Flutter Web is another great example, right? Like we use CanvasKit. So every almost, you know, unless you're using the HTML renderer, but most people are using CanvasKit renderer and Flutter. Everyone there, I, it's hilarious, I didn't think about that. That's actually one of the best examples of use of WebAssembly. The rendering engine for Flutter is WebAssembly and it's sourced in C++. Um, and we compile it to WebAssembly and it runs across all modern browsers. So WebAssembly, the core spec is very stable. It's very tested. It works across all modern browsers. It's great. The GC bit was just came stable in November, December. So um, uh, November for Chrome, um, actually it was Halloween for Chrome, 119. And then Firefox 120, which was out in November, I believe. Now have stable implementations of the GC spec. My understanding is Safari is coming along very well. The there are some whatever the latest issue update is actually outdated. They're further along than their public messaging is. So I expect Safari to come along. I, I have no idea what their schedule is, but they're cranking on it as well. And this might be a good time to dig into that. So the GC bit is WebAssembly as it sta started is really numbers and lists of numbers. That is it. You know, what's the minimal thing you can implement? There is no notion, core notion yet of like a string or a struct in WebAssembly, so not very easy. The GC spec adds, and I talked about this in my talk in March, um, it's kind of funny because there's actually no notion of garbage collection in the core spec. What it defines is typed lists and basically structs um, and types, some type information, and that's it. And then the idea is because you have this information now where you have a strongly typed thing, a named thing, you can now walk the graph of referenced objects and now garbage collection has enough information to do its work. The garbage collector can walk through and say, oh, this struct or this list is no longer being referenced. I can free up the memory. So would that, I have a quick question about, about what you just described. So, I mean, I can see how that enables garbage collection. I'm wondering if, is that also a useful or critical tool 
for let's say object orientation for the purpose of like virtual lookup tables and things like that? Or is that a completely separate issue? I don't know enough to get into, you know, is there a notion of a V table in WebAssembly? I, you, I think you, that might actually be left as an, as an exercise for the implementer of a language. Um, Cause there is a type system. There is a notion of types instantiating types. I don't even, I think it's single inheritance. I think subclassing is kind of there, but it's in an interesting way. Um, so there is some general notion of a, of types, which wasn't there before. So before literally it was lists of numbers and numbers, and you kind of had to hoist everything yourself. Um, but my under, my memory, and again, I'm not a compiler engineer, so I, you know, we have to pull in the people that really understand the implementation details, but um, there is enough there to hoist in languages like Dart and Kotlin, um, another other, a number of other languages that are garbage collected languages to use this implementation. Sure, makes sense. Uh, we do have one question posted from the audience. So uh, Christian asks, does Google have an official document that explains the official position on WASM and how Google plans to embrace it? So that sounds like a company-wide question related to WASM. It's great because I was just recently um, given the baton to speak for all of Google, so I can give it. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> good question, Christian. I, I wish, frankly, um, you know, Google's a huge company. You know, there's lots of people all over the company digging on WebAssembly. We have some informal chat rooms to discuss things. Um, I am, even the things that I'm pretty sure are public now, um, I don't know enough to be able to speak, you know, from a PR perspective. I can say that there are a bunch of people very interested in WebAssembly across a number of areas of Google um, beyond the browser um, and just stay tuned. Um, I, I'm going to let other product managers and folks speak for that, but um, we're, we're having more and more conversations internally about this. Um, and the, beyond the browser space is super interesting. I can speak to my aspirations there. We have no plans, like we have no plans, concrete plans like our team yet. We're very focused on Flutter and getting Flutter end to end working in the browser. Um, but you know, Wasm and other places and running other place other places with Dart is something I'm personally very interested in. Um, so I'm curious to see where that goes. But right now we're focusing on Flutter Web. Got it. And let me also uh, mention to the audience. So if if the if you have questions out there, but maybe you're not comfortable enough coming up and uh, speaking those on stage, you can type in a comment or a question uh, down. You should have a button at the bottom of your screen to type a comment or question. And if you post it there, I'll do my best to see it and then bring it up to Kevin or Ray. You can, uh, if you happen to catch one that I miss, you're welcome to interrupt me with the audience question at any time. I just have a couple more questions, I think, related to WebAssembly in general, and then maybe we can dig into more of the Dart and Flutter picture. Sure. Now, Kevin, you mentioned that, uh, you know, WebAssembly is just number, list of numbers and numbers. And so it's this very, very uh, kind of primitive core shared protocol for assembly. But of course, it is being promoted and implemented heavily in browsers. So there is this browser-specific story to it. And so I'm curious how, the, well, let me also frame it by saying, kind of in my view, browsers at this point are portable operating systems in a lot of ways. Obviously, a lot of uh, website work is still done with uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, the DOM, box layout, et cetera. But also browsers expose file systems. They expose user location services, Bluetooth, radios, et cetera. What is the story about how those kinds of operating system behaviors integrate or don't integrate 
in WebAssembly? You know, can you can you write C code that compiles down to WebAssembly and accesses user location services? Or are we actually is WebAssembly kind of going the route of what Flutter has had to do, which is all of the agnostic stuff can be done with WebAssembly, but if you want to actually touch the operating system, so to speak, you have to have some kind of platform channel where you jump back to JavaScript to access those browser slash operating system APIs. Right. So, I mean, so as far, there might be some caveats here, but kind of, I think the mental model I have, I think is within, that's the ratio of accuracy to comprehensibility is right for what I'm going to explain. Because I think there is some subtle differences between a browser API effectively and like an arbitrary JS API, like Firebase or you know, insert, you know, JavaScript library. Um, but effectively, like thinking about like FFI or something similar is pretty accurate, which is if you have some browser API that you want your WebAssembly code to have access to, whether that's touching the canvas or touching the DOM or location or audio or video or anything else, you create a wrapper or you, you, you formalize in terms of how you hand it off. You create an, um, an the actual, actual mechanism here, I'm not completely sure. There's mechanisms in WebAssembly for basically how you can pass in functions, function, pass in function references. So you create a function reference object and you pass it into WebAssembly. And you say, here are, here's a bucket of functions you can call. And obviously they have names and things. And, um, and then WebAssembly can call those functions with numbers and the of numbers. And that's how it works. So it, it does kind of feel like I think FFI is kind of what you're talking about or something similar there. Um, 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 and th that's the kind of the story for the browser today and actually anywhere else. Um, the the stuff that's coming down, then again, I'm more of a, a fan of watching. Um, I don't have a lot of details. Is there's a thing being formalized called component model. Um, which is basically how you define components in WebAssembly. Because right now it's it's a weird the interface boundary between WebAssembly modules is weird. Like this, it's you know functions. Yeah, there are functions and then numbers and list of numbers. And so and then you know there's a notion of references now. So you can have references to objects. Or I'll take references. So I can pass in like a DOM thing into a WebAssembly module and it can be passed around and passed back. Um, and then what Web what the component model is is actually formalizing. This is how I define a component. So here's our, the things it exports. Here's the things that it expects to get in, and setting up kind of like an API boundary. Like you can kind of think of it like a package, I think, more or less, or maybe a library in Dart or anything else for that matter. And then it sounds it sounds very similar to a Flutter plugin. Let me let me describe something back to you, and you let me know if I'm understanding this correctly. Let's think about browser notifications. I know it's the most annoying part of browsers where every website tries to send you notifications, but let's let's imagine essentially just two capabilities. One is to request permissions to show notifications, and the other is to send or push a notification to the to the browser. Uh, and let's say you're writing some C code that you expect to compile down to WASM and you and deploy within a browser. Would you essentially define a uh, in your C code? You'd essentially have two virtual methods, one that somehow uh, you call out to request permission and another virtual method that you call to send a notification, you compile essentially that API into your C code and then you, when you deploy to the browser, 
those virtual methods are bound to JavaScript implementations, one which goes through the normal browser path of requesting permissions, and one which goes through the normal browser path of showing a notification. Is that kind of what you're describing, or have I misunderstood? Um, I think that's kind of, I mean, I, I'm actually digging right now. My understanding is if you're writing in C or C++ or even Rust, there are folks who have created Rust libraries. The basis is like, the, it's like, you know, Dart HTML, right? Or similar, but it's in Rust. And so what you do is you import this into your Rust code and you code against it like you're running JavaScript in the browser. And what happens at compile time is that these libraries are defined with all the right hooks in place so that, you know, the right WebAssembly is generated. And then frankly, also the right JavaScript is generated to bind the two things together. So you just write Rust and you talk to browser APIs. And of course, I don't, I don't, I, I don't um, envy the folks who have to do all the work to make sure that, you know, the DOM's garbage collected APIs, right? In terms of how you reference things and how that deals with the borrow checker in Rust. Like I have zero idea. Sounds like a fun problem. Um, yeah. But yeah, you just code against the browser libraries like they're just native Rust libraries. And then the compiler does the work, both emitting WASM and JavaScript to do the glue code. In fact, if you um, look at the WASM examples we have compiled, you'll notice there's, an, there's a .wasm file, but there's also a .mjs file that we generate. And that is just a list of numbered functions, opaque numbered functions that map between, you know, they're just numbered functions that the WASM compiled, the WASM code sourced from Dart calls in to reference browser APIs. It's just a list, a top level list of top level functions that map to browser APIs. And so that's our mapping layer. And then that mapping layer is passed into the WebAssembly module. It's like, here are your functions to call. And because they're numbered and that maps to how the compiler implements the stubs. That's how it works. Okay, I, so I have one more question. My, my final question, I think that's generic to WebAssembly and not specific to Dart, which is kind of an extension of what you just described. So I'll ask that question. And then after that, uh, I do see we have a few questions posted from the audience. Uh, to the to the originating tweet, so I'll read those, Kevin, and give you a chance to answer the audience questions. Awesome. But the the final extension of what you were just kind of describing, I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, it, and again, this is this is something that Flutter would do for us, but I'm I'm just trying to understand the root kind of uh, context here. Imagine that we wanted to paint some individual pixels. Imagine that we wanted to source individual touch events from within some WebAssembly context. It, does that follow the same thing that you described where there are some browser-specific bindings that then expose the information to WebAssembly in that kind of plug-in model? And if so, does that also imply that if you want to paint pixels or, or respond to touch events from within a WebAssembly context, that you're dealing with kind of the existing per-browser idiosyncrasies? So if, if the existing JavaScript API in Chrome, for example, for responding to touch events, if that's slightly different than Safari's JavaScript API for, for responding to touch events, are those differences going to flow into WebAssembly? And do you have to, to continue to deal with those differences from within WebAssembly? Or does WebAssembly offer some kind of unification of, of the... UX UI model for touch events, pixels, et cetera? That is a great question. I think there's some confusion here. It's, 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 it's so traditional in computer science in general, which is like new thing X comes along, well, everything will be fixed. Like wave your hands. Um, 
And of course, anyone who's been dealing with a software industry and big projects for any amount of time realizes that it's like, oh, that's like, there'll be dragons. Like that's a horrible model for any kind of success, like a bull ocean. So WebAssembly, there is no magic here. There's zero magic. You have some, uh, invent some API that takes three arguments, but in Chrome and Firefox, they take a third argument. They, instead of taking four arguments, they take five, an optional fifth argument, because there's a new spec and Safari hasn't quite implemented it yet, right? So you can export that function from JavaScript or from the DOM, right, to WASM and give it to WASM. And so now you export this function and in Firefox and Chrome, if you pass a fifth argument, it'll work great. And if you pass the fifth argument in Safari, my understanding is because it's gonna use JavaScript calling conventions, for that exported function, you're passing the fifth argument and at the call site, just like if you were in JavaScript, call that fifth argument in Safari, it'll just be dropped on the floor and ignored. So there is no magic right. here in WASM. It's just, you know, um, obviously if you have code, the, the, the flip is more interesting and gnarly potentially, right? Which is um, if you expect a certain return type or a certain encoding or something for a value where you're actually calling a WASM function, um, the WASM will just seg fault or just crash, or you'll get your runtime exception, right? If you pass in the wrong number of arguments, right? Cause it's not loosey goosey the way JavaScript is, which is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because things are sound, you can compile it efficiently and you get, you know, compile time exceptions instead of runtime, weird behavior, undefined behavior, right? Um, on the WASM side, it'll just, won't it'll just crash if you pass in the wrong number of arguments, right? It'll just fail. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so I, yeah, I fully understand that. Uh, that so WebAssembly is this very core protocol, and that uh, it sounds like the kind of the parts of the browser that I just mentioned fall outside of that protocol, and so it is what it is. Um, and obviously, we want to take all the benefits that we get from WASM and enjoy those benefits. Uh, of course, I hope the industry understands we don't want to repeat the browser wars within the WASM space. Uh, because that's, you know, talk about costly, so much money spent over the last couple of decades with, well, 90s and early aughts with uh, browsers all wanting their own APIs and such. So I hope that that the unification and standardization of UI UX behaviors continues, perhaps you, through the component model you mentioned, perhaps through kind of additional opt-in levels of protocol above yeah. above core WASM. Be careful, be so careful I'm, calling it protocol. I mean, it's, it's a language, it's a, in, a, in a binary format. So... I don't know, pr protocol, I guess it's kind of, you know, in the, in a general sense of a protocol, but it's just, it's just a, it's a file format, you know, that an assembly language. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll call it a language. Uh, so, uh, let me ask, I'll ask a few audience questions that are posted here in no particular order. And then, uh, Ray, rather than have me jump back into more of my questions, I want to make sure I give you a chance to ask your questions as well. So first we'll do the audience questions and then we'll see if Ray would like to ask anything of Kevin. Uh, so first from Ryasat, will we get, it looks like the Dart HTML package is what's referenced here, Dart colon HTML. Will we get Dart HTML, et cetera, support in Flutter WASM by 3.19 or will it be much later? Now I, I'm a little confused myself as to the conflation of a Dart HTML package with Flutter WASM. Um, so maybe that's, Dart WASM that includes coverage for Flutter, though the Dart HTML package is not specific to Flutter. In the event, again, the quote question is, will we get Dart HTML, et cetera, support in Flutter WASM by 3.19, or 
or it'll be much later question mark. So the short answer is never know. Um, we have there's a this this is fun too. Um, it turns out so what. Let me back up a second. I don't mean to be flippant there. We will have a solution for you. It's called Package Web, and Package Web is already out. Go look at Package Web. But package Web is the future. I am. It's going to be a while. So if you're using Dart HTML, Dart colon SVG, Dart colon Web Audio, Dart colon WebGL, there's like six or seven of them. If you're using those today and you don't care about Wasm, you'll be fine for a year, almost certainly, is my guess. Don't quote me on that, but you'll be fine for a while, at least a year. Um, is my hope. I need to be very clear here because this is being recorded, but for a while. Um, if you want to use WebAssembly with Dart or with Flutter, you have to migrate your code that talks to browser APIs. You use Package Web, and there's two other libraries that we're coming out with. It's pack it's actually the libraries are Dart libraries. So it's Dart colon. The Dart colon things are not packages, they're libraries. So Dart colon JS interrupt and Dart colon JS interrupt unsafe are the two libraries. So those two libraries and then package web are the future here. Don't worry about the lack of a documentation or anything about these yet. We are doing a bunch of work to get those all nice and lined up with extension types, which are coming very soon. So between extension types, those two dark colon libraries and package web, that is going to be the surface area you're going to use if you want to talk to the browser and if you want to interrupt with existing JavaScript. And what these give you, and this is why I bring up extension types is, they get rid of all of this magic we have. And we have a lot of magic right now in Dart HTML and friends to handle a bunch of legacy that's seriously 10 years old in terms of how we think about browser APIs in Dart. We wanted to give people an exact match of Dart semantics and everything with is checks and as checks and everything else and subtypes with browser APIs. And that's what we ship with Dart HTML and everything else. And the problem is that comes with one, a bunch of overhead, like kilobytes of, I think five or six kilobytes, sometimes more, in output overhead with runtime performance overhead, because there's all this magic we inject and things that we create to make sure that you can do is checks and as calls and everything else. Um, and frankly, unsoundness, because we make it look like it's Dart, but the browser, you know, types are kind of a weird thing. They, in some cases, it's not even a type. It might just be an opaque object with fields that we pretend is a type, right? And so in the new world, we're very sound. There's, it's all the dispatch is static dispatch, um, which comes with some downsides, right? Like the, the ability to implement interfaces or do subtyping will be a little bit more restricted when you're thinking about a JavaScript world. But the upside is we can now, take the code that you have that talks to browser APIs, it talks to JavaScript APIs from random vendors, and we can take the same source code and compile it and run it soundly and safely in both JavaScript and WebAssembly. So that's where we're going with this. The cost is a migration cost. And so the next release of Flutter, what are we like, I always think in terms of Dart. So we're Dart, Dart 3.2 now, Dart 3.3 is the next release. I guess it's gonna be three, what is it? 3.18, should know this, Flutter version. Wait while the um, the guest runs the version command on his local CLI. The current dev release of Flutter is 3.18. So I think the next stable release of Flutter, the next major stable release, I think will be 3.18, maybe 3.19. I'm not sure. Um, that release will have extension types. And then you will, you know, John Ryan is here listening in, it looks like. Um, he's helping me with some of this documentation and other things. We will have um, 
documentation for how you start using these new APIs. So if you're an app author, there might be very little that you need to do other than waiting. If you're a package author that explicitly integrates with you know, things that use Dart HTML or other JavaScript APIs, you will need to migrate to this new world. Um, and we will have documentation. I've already migrated 10 packages. Um, we'll have a bunch of examples to show you to help you with this migration. And that will get you into a WASM ready state. So we do have all the things that you've come to know and love. Package web is even better than Dart HTML because it's in a package. We'll iterate on it faster. It's based on the public IDLs. So we'll have more new APIs sooner. It's more complete, um, but there will be some migration involved. I'm gonna roll that previous question into another related audience question is Peter, asked what is the state of package web and i'm going to i'm going to prefix that with what in general is package web and then perhaps you can give us a characterization of the current status or state sure. so package web the simple way to think about it if you're familiar with existing dart stuff is it is the replacement for let me open up a tab here and i'll just list them out api.dart.dev so there's a whole bucket of you know so it's dart colon html indexdb SVG, Web Audio, WebGL. So I guess it's five packages. And these are all things that expose browser APIs. Um, so all five of those libraries, Dart colon libraries, are, are those five things are effectively going to be deprecated. Not removed, they'll be around for a while, but they'll be deprecated. And Package Web is a replacement. And Package Web is based on public IDLs from the W3C. And the idea is it's going to have all the latest and greatest browser APIs in a package that people could help us help contribute to and file issues against. It would be much more accessible than the current things that are in the Dart SDK. And it's there's no secret sauce. The way Dart HTML and friends are implemented now, there's some secret compiler magic and other things internally, it's all gone. Like package web, you could take package web and fork it and do what you want with it. Like it's it's all like we're trying to get rid of all these magical little ways we have to talk to JS APIs. There's going to be one way. It's going to be based on extension types. Um, and some annotations that, so if you look at package web and you wanna see how that's implemented, that is the future in terms of how we talk to these APIs. Um, it is usable now. So package web, if you're using package HTTP right now, if you're using URL launcher, the latest version of URL launcher or shared preferences, there's a few other things that are published. You are using package web today. You are already in the future using package web. Um, if you're looking to migrate stuff, I would say, Give us until the next stable release, and we'll start rolling out documentation and things. And also, the, the shape of package web will be much better once you move to extension types. We've added some features recently to the SDK so that JS Promise and JS Array are now have generics. So we can have actually have the JS Promise right now is just JS Promise. There's no value type like a future. And so you have to do crazy conversion. There actually will be a generic argument type in that. So like you'll be able to handle that in a more type safe way. Same thing with JS Array. So, um, you know, early in 2024, after we recovered from holidays, the next stable release of Dart and Flutter, um, we'll we'll start rolling out documentation and help build up start migration. Well, that's really exciting, Kevin. Um, I want to jump in and dive into that a little bit deeper because, um, so first we uh, you touched on the package authors and how the work that they do. Uh, if you build a package and it requires you to you know interface with existing dart html uh, uh, dart html uh, browser apis then you would need to migrate um, but for those of us who are just building apps uh, let's say we're currently uh, just doing you know dart js interop and we have 
uh, the current, we're using the current annotations. Uh, we're, you know, mirroring um, a JS libraries uh, functions and we're, you know, making our own annotated, uh, I guess, a J JS object um, that gets, you know, generated um, and uh, compiled and then we can interop with our uh, JS libraries. Yep. Um, so does that, will we also need to migrate uh, to the new package web? from Dart HTML. So, to be more, so if you're using Dart HTML and Dart SVG and all those, you will need to migrate to package web. Mm -hmm. If you're using Dart colon JS, Dart colon JS util or package JS, so again, we're mixing up these Dart colon things, these packages, but those three things, you will need to migrate to Dart colon JS interop and Dart colon JS interop unsafe in special cases. So you also will need to migrate in general, it's pretty similar. There's some subtle changes. Um, the annotation model you do is very similar. Um, you'll have you'll move to mm -hmm. extension types instead of extension members to do um, some of the interop, which actually will be nice because um, it's gonna it's gonna be about the same level of lightweightness. But extension types are just fun. Like it's it's an easier to pass around. Like the problem with extension members right now is if you return a type, if you return a class, and there's extension members you defined, the library with that type that's using that type, if they don't import your library, they don't have access to the extensions. Or in the extension okay. type world, if I return something with like my foo wrapper, like let's say foo wrapper wraps JS object and other stuff, you know, the type in the API is foo wrapper. And so if I do var, var wrapper equals get foo wrapper, right? And it returns that type. Um, I can start. I can do dot on that and actually access the members defined in the extension type. And I realize the naming here is extension members, extension types. If you're confused by this, it's fine. We'll have great docs on it in the next release. We're coming along really nicely, but just just know it's it's a uh, it's a little nicer. Like it's we call it sticky. Like the uh, the members are sticky on the type. You don't need to import the library. Um, but there's no wrapper cost. So there's actually no wrapper there at runtime. It's just JS object. And we're calling doing normal JS access to the members um, through this through this extension type me mechanism. So it's it's meant to be a, a zero cost abstraction or a very low cost abstraction. Great, great. Uh, that's good to know. That's good to uh, keep an eye on. And yeah, the docs, uh, <laughs> the updated docs will be uh, helpful for sure. I mean, if you go into right now and you just open up packet, you know, go to pub.dev, let me do this before I tell you. Am I good that I do this myself? So I go to pub.dev and just open the web, you know, open the web package. I notice the CI badge is broken. We should fix that. And if you click on packages that use or have dependencies on package web, gosh, there's already a bunch. I forgot I'm, I've migrated a lot. Yes, it's like there's 13 here. There's 12. Go mm -hmm. look at those. You know, I'm I'm actually I'm guessing um someone already migrated Chrome extension, which is cool. Um, um WebSocket channels when I did um, Google Identity Services is actually probably one of the most interesting because it's actually talking to a JS API and go you can go look at the source code to see how it works. I would again highly encourage folks unless you really want to be the bleeding edge, just take a breath and wait. Um, and we'll have docs and samples and we'll have extension types um, in 2024 and that'll make things a bit easier. So this is not a, a CTA other than just building awareness. Okay. Fair enough.
Okay. Thanks, Ray. Uh, so I have a question here from Marcus. And I think, Kevin, I'm going to attempt to answer this question based on what you've already said. And you let me know if I get anything cool. wrong. So the question is, is WASM something that is compatible with SEO? And Kevin, I know you've already mentioned SEO, but let me see if my understanding here is correct. The word compatible here, I think, is a, I mean, that's a tough word to deal with. There are two possible ways to look at it. One is compatibility in terms of, is it possible to engage with SEO when using WASM? And the other version is, do you get SEO for free when using or compiling to WASM? So I would say that the first half is that, yes, WASM has every opportunity to engage with SEO as any other website would, but that you don't get it for free because, well, what is SEO? You know, search engine optimization is the result of search engine web crawlers, which are programs that, uh, that crawl through the document object model within a website. They look through all the text and all the relationships and semantics tags and things like that, but that's the DOM. The DOM is a browser technology that is independent from WASM. So WASM has the opportunity to alter the DOM, but WASM does not have a fundamental relationship to the DOM. And therefore, if you want to somehow, let's say, create an entire web page through WebAssembly, you still have the responsibility of updating the DOM to expose the information that would then be crawled by the search engine. So Kevin, did that did that touch the major points, or did I get, get something wrong? A plus. Wrong it's like asking: Are electric cars compatible with freeways? Like, <laughs> you know, electric cars are great, but like, it's an imp in, I care if you care about the environment. Obviously, it's not an implementation detail. There's externalities, right? But in terms of how you interact with the highway, you know, it's like drive the speed limit. You know, it doesn't matter if you're an ice car or electric car. So it's the same thing here. Like, you can write WASM stuff that updates the DOM and does things in the DOM, and if you do things correctly. Search engines will index you, but it is an orthogonal concept. So, yeah. Got it. Great. And I, just okay. real quick. So, Slava and John Ryan and Yegor are all three here um, um, from the Dart team, Dart Flutter teams. So, I don't know if they have, if they want to chime in or add anything, but, you know, hit the, hit the microphone um, if they have something they want to share. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just say hi. Yeah. I should have mentioned this again more recently, but everyone in the audience is welcome to come up and speak. The only reason that I'm reading questions is because I think these audience members have chosen they'd rather type than speak. But anybody here is welcome to hit the mic button. Myself or Ray will bring you on stage. We'll call you call your name when when we're ready, and you can comment, you can ask questions, etc. Uh, so Bogdan asks. It says we can use Dev tools to debug C++ code compiled to WebAssembly. See the call stack, step through code, inspect variables, set breakpoints, etc. Will this be possible for Dart code? And if so, is there a timeline for that tooling? That is our goal. That's where we want to get. Um, no timeline. Um, already, if you're, you, you can use package test today. We just landed support. Not in the Flutter side, but on just pure Dart side. But you could, if you do pub upgrade and go to package HTTP and you do Dart test dash P Chrome dash C Dart to Wasm, You'll run the test in WASM, and if they crash, you'll see a stack trace that will give you some idea of what happened. It's ugly. We haven't done the work to clean it all up, so we're we're working on it. Um, there's some integration we have to do with source maps. You know, and there's some back and forth. We use source maps as a technology. There's a separate technology in the WASM world called Dwarf um, that does effectively it's like C source maps. 
um, that WebAssembly supports. So getting that all wired together is on our radar. We're really trying to get the end-to-end -end stuff working. It is possible that we'll come out and say, this stuff is ready for production use in terms of runtime stability, but there still might be some asterisks in terms of stack traces and debugging and stuff. Um, you know, JavaScript is going to stick around for a while, for a long while um, in this space. Um, but it's certainly something that we care about. We want to make sure there's a good experience. Got it. So it sounds like there's some some initial work and and kind of experimentation at the CLI level. Uh, you want to bring full tooling. It sounds like we're a, a ways away from kind of your wonderful visualizations uh, that would inspect those those details. Everything, all the pieces are, that are needed are, I think, in place. There might be a couple extra things we need to do. Um, it's just a matter of getting it all wired together. Okay. Now, uh, Kevin, I know you're prolific on the open source public side of things. So just a programmer asks, can you post the sample projects you've converted to package web? I've, I don't know about posting them. I'm guessing you already have a number of, of such uh, examples of such work that's visible in packages. Is that correct? Can you point anyone to where they might find some of that work that you've done? Sure. I just replied to the live stream tweet, right? The comment. Um, yeah, yeah, that should work. And it's a list of uh, dependencies on the web package or uh, packages that use the current um, web package. So uh, like Kevin mentioned, there's a list of, uh, I guess, maybe 12 or something already. Yep. So I just, I just, um, or maybe 13. I just said packages that have, that have been migrated to, to package web. Um, I set the link reply to this tweet. So, um, you know, I, and it's just look at the commits on GitHub, and you can filter out to see the ones. That was, I, I was very explicit in that, and, and I think John has migrated one, and David and our team has migrated a few. If you want to go see the commits that are specific to this, great. Uh, now, Ryasat uh, asked a question related to performance. Now he he's joined our spaces in the past to talk about some of his Flutter web work, if I remember correctly, and and that I think performance has been one of the things he's struggled with and struggled through. So he asks. Are there any techniques or things to keep in mind to keep Flutter Wasm performance great? Um, our our current benchmarks now, you know, we're seeing two x to three x improvement for a lot of stuff. There are some things where when you're going back and forth between Wasm and JavaScript are actually slower. We're hoping that generally just talking about frame times, initial load, frame times. Um, the Material Three Gallery app is a good example where the first frame we render. Um, in JavaScript, it's about the last numbers I got was like 175 milliseconds for the first frame. Um, with our vanilla Dart to Wasm stuff with existing Canvas Kit, it's 100 milliseconds. And with our advanced thing that we're going to have out, it's a stable thing called Squasm, but it's basically Canvas Kit where we bind Wasm to Wasm directly. Um, the first frame is less than 50 milliseconds. So we're seeing for that first frame over 3x improvement um, with the first build. Uh, method um, for the gallery app. Um, and we have other benchmarks that show just general frame times being half. And so what's nice about half having frame times is if you hit your frame budget, you don't get jank. But being half, if you're under budget, means that's you know half the battery you're using. Um, and certainly, if you talk about mobile devices, right, where you have less, you have less headroom, um, you know, even, even modest uh, mobile devices can still have modern browsers with the support. We think we'll have much better performance on mobile devices too. So we're still working through. John, John actually working with me today on getting some perf 
analysis going there, but our initial measurements are very optimistic that you'll see, and you won't have to worry about it. You'll just use, you know, if your packages are migrated, just use WASM and you should see benefits. Yeah, we love to see the foundational performance improvements, the ones where magically you upgrade, recompile, and things get smaller, faster, better. Uh, now, just to clarify, though, are, so those are all wonderful things that kind of happen behind the scenes from the perspective of the outside developers. Are there any particular practices that you're aware of where we, the outside developers, the app developers, uh, need to be aware of trade-offs, certain things we might be doing that we shouldn't or certain things we should be doing to get the best performance that we can out of WASM from on the Dart and Flutter side? We're not... I'm not we're not to the point yet where I can say, here's the do's and don'ts. Um, I am almost certain that as we dig in with customers, as more customers deploy with Wasm, and as we have more big customers internally and other things do it, that we will find hot, just like in the JavaScript world, where we find certain things work better or don't, um, we will find things there. In general, what I found, you know, um, it's it's the same as everything, right? Which is, you know, be chunky, not chatty with your you know, FFI calls, you know, be mindful about how you use things like async to make sure that you don't block frame loads. Like it's going to be the same kind of advice, I'm guessing. Um, there might be WASM specific stuff. Nothing has really crossed our, our, our radar yet. In fact, what we're doing is we're profiling is realizing there's just ways that we implement things in our core frameworks and the compilers that we're optimizing. So, um, you know, get real apps out there, dual compiled, and then let us know if you're seeing weird behaviors. And then, um, especially because that's that's actually what Jackson is working on right now is dual compile so that when you deploy, you'll build both WASM and JavaScript. So we'll fall back to JavaScript if WASM GC is not available. But also I'm pushing, we need to figure out how we're gonna do this to set it up so that if you set the right query string or maybe you opt into this, we'll actually be able to force the mode. You'll be able to force WASM versus JS. And then we'll have the same app, built the same source code, the same engine, and do a comparison of WebAssembly and JavaScript and find the spots where our purpose works. That's gonna be super nice. For sure. Yeah, so it sounds like at some point soon here, we'll kind of reach like a, a community bumper car situation. Everybody do everything they, they can, they need to do and see what's working and, and what isn't and then kind of take it from yep. there. Uh, so Ryasat also, he uh, th this I think, Kevin falls outside uh, your purview, but he commented with kind of a, a feature request. He said, not related to WASM, but users of Flutter Web keep asking for Control F support, would appreciate it if it is prioritized. Now, I think Control F means find. It's Control F or Command F, find something on the page. Uh, so if there is anyone on the Flutter team in the audience who might be able to help with that, there, there seems to be a growing number of requests. I can also kind of second this to the extent that there, you know, maybe it's a, a lack of education on the topic or what have you, but there is a number of, of developers, companies, and users who just kind of expect that browser feature to work no matter where they go, and that includes Flutter web pages and Flutter web apps. Uh, but I will also point out that it's, it's not entirely clear to me what Flutter could do at the global level to help with that. Um, maybe there are some widgets that Flutter could add to the framework that would help with indexing the content that we put in a Flutter app or a Flutter web page for that purpose. Uh, so on, on the one hand, I can see why it's not clear what Flutter does for that. On the other hand, I have seen 
a lot of expectations that a user should be able to do that. So it would be great if the Flutter team could give that some attention. Um, it's on our radar, and I think I, there had, just like we did some work around being able to do kind of global select all across a bunch of text. There have been some experiments around just supporting global command F or control F. Um, I think they're relatively new. I don't have any details there. I, I just it is more of a framework thing than a web thing. It's just one of those things like people expect it to work on the web, where you don't necessarily expect it on a desktop app. Um, but it is absolutely on our radar and something that people are looking at. So you know, comment on the don't comment on the issue. Just give, give a thumbs up to the issue. Um, if someone here asks the question, go find the issue and and post it here so people can find it. Um, you know, me too, me too comments just add noise generally, unless you have a very specific thing to ask. But you know, put click that thumbs up icon. We sort by that. We look at that in terms of how we prioritize. For sure. So Rysad, if you'd like to post a link to that issue somewhere on this thread, at least that'll be available to everyone who's here. They can view it after the fact. And anyone who has suffered that issue, uh, like Kevin said, go to the issue, give it a thumbs up. The more thumbs up an issue gets, the higher it becomes on the triage list for the Flutter team. Uh, now we have a question here from Mohammed. I don't know if there's a typo in this or if it means something different. So it says, when will Dart support WASI, W-A-S-I? I don't know if that's a typo for WASM. In it's case, not. I, I don't think it is. Okay. So WASI. Okay. Okay. So WASM is super simple, and we love that it's super simple. But you want to do interesting things with WASM. So again, like good engineers and Luke Wagner, um, he's just a great speaker too. Just search for Luke Wagner WASI, Luke Wagner component model on YouTube. Um, he's given some spectacular talks covering this stuff. So WASM. Component model and WASI, WASM and WASI, W A S M, stands for Web Assembly System Interface. So the component model, and it was great because they were thinking about this. Basically, it's like how do you add POSIX to WASM? It's effectively, the you know POSIX is like let's implement the standard thing so I can do file, you know, standard in, standard out, standard error, read files, talk to the network. And so they're like, let's just do POSIX. They're like, no, we don't want POSIX because that's a whole bunch of stuff. And you don't want to just like say, oh, now WASM can like read your standard in and standard out and talk to your file system, you know, at whim and open arbitrary sagas to arbitrary hosts. Like we're back to where we started in terms of security. And so they're like, what we should have is like, I don't know if it's called role-based security. It's like, it's basically opt-in security. So the component model is how do I define a bucket of functionality like an API, like an IDL, an interface description language. So I can say, this is, you know, if I want to implement a proxy, for instance, it's like, oh, well, give me, hand me a network stack, the ability to accept connections and make connections. And so that's a required input as like a thing I need. You kind of inject it. And then I'll hand you a proxy thing that you can use to, you know, forward traffic across something or do tunneling or VPN, whatever. And so component model is the bits that help you define how to define an API in WASM that's reusable and shareable, um, that can be named, can be versioned, can be referenced by other things. And then WASI, the system interface, is a collection of these components. And there's a whole bunch of work, you know, there's HTTP, there is file access, there are things like a random number, like things you don't even think about, like random number is something you can inject. It's not actually part of the WASM standard. So access to a time, time, access to random numbers, access to sockets. You know, so you, you could build HTTP on top of a sockets implementation, right? So it's nicely layered. Um, so that's the WASI stuff. Um, I want to get into that business with Dart. I would love to. There's two limiters. One is we're hyper-focused on the Flutter story. 
So um, as much as I like to play in that space, I think there's something really exciting and interesting things to play in that space. We're just hyper-focused. Like we want to get this out um, for Flutter. Um, and the second thing is right now, the Dart implementation relies on JavaScript, relies on the browser. It assumes the browser is there. And we use it for regex. We use it for printing numbers. You know, like implementing double.toString is actually a really hard problem. And so like, let's just use the browser's implementation and not do it ourselves. Um, and several other things. Regex is the one that comes to mind and a few other things. Although the event loop is something else that we use the browser for. And so we would have to go and make sure those things get implemented in ways that don't depend on the browser to be able to run in these JS-less, pure WASM runtime scenarios. Um, and then I'm not sure on top of that, I'm sure we could do tooling so that we could export a Dart library as a WASI component, or I'm sorry, a, a component model component, or to consume component model components. Um, it's something I'm interested in and I've talked to people about, but we don't have we don't have specific plans there yet, other than the product manager is super excited about it. Okay, got it. So WASI is definitely a thing, not a typo, and uh, you guys would love to see it, but you're you're at kind of perhaps the planning stages, seeing where it might fit in and how you might get there. So yeah. it sounds like timeline-wise, nowhere near a point of talking about timeline. It's it's future. We're talking about, I mean, this is the great, we're open source. We have an open source compiler. Um, you know, it's written in Dart. Our WASM compiler is all, it's pure Dart. And so if you wanted to go play in this space and look how stuff's generated, I'm not going to pretend it's easy. Like we, we didn't design this for, we didn't necessarily, we didn't design it to not be community con contributable, um, but it's not like a package, right? It's kind of deep in our SDK. But if people are super curious, go dig, go dig. Like this is the beauty of the system. For sure. Okay. Uh, Samuel asks, is it possible to incorporate dynamic linking and loading of WASM modules in Flutter web apps without depending on JavaScript interop or external libraries? We're not there yet. Um, there's a thing, there's a multi-memory, actually, maybe this is something that Slava or Yegor could answer better than I can. I know we're actually, oh, Thomas is here too. Thomas Live, he's actually on the, uh, the WASM uh, team on V8 team. I don't want to put one of them wants to raise their hand if they could answer this better than I can around multi-memories and multiple components. Thomas might be the best person. I'm putting Thomas on the spot. He's like, I just wanted to listen. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, at the moment, we don't have direct support for binding ex multiple external WASM modules. Um, obviously, if you are talking to a JS API and you do the interop to work with our stuff, if that JS API happens to be wrap a WASM module, it'll just work in the browser. It'll just work. That's the beauty of it. But you don't want that. You ideally have straight WASM to WASM binding. That's how we're, this, when I talk about SQASM, this, this, this accelerated canvas kit thing we have, that's what we do. We bind straight WASM to WASM. And in fact, we use the, the FFI, native FFI library to do it. If you look at the implementation, that's how we do it. We use FFI. Um, but there are some new, there is some nuance around how you talk to multiple modules, especially dynamic loading of modules in WASM, that we're just, it's not on our radar yet. We're again, hyper-focused on the current scenario, but that is a great question. I'd love to get to that world. I think it'd be super cool. Okay, I'm gonna bring Thomas up on stage. Thomas, would you like to opine? Hi there. Uh, I, would, I would love to reply, but I'm sorry, I missed the question. Could you repeat it? <laughs> sure. So the question is, from Samuel, is it possible to incorporate dynamic linking and loading of WASM modules in Flutter web apps 
without depending on JavaScript interop or external libraries? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, dynamic linking, of course, is 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 tricky, you know, on its own. And then there's, can we do it without JavaScript interop? And can we do it in Dart? So uh, yeah, that's tough. Very briefly, uh, in C++ land, which has been, you know, uh, has many more years of maturity in, in the WebAssembly space, we can do dynamic linking, uh, but sort of just barely, right? It's, it's sort of early days even for that. And uh, so it does work, you know, you can like DL open a library in, in C++ land but it does require quite a bit of JavaScript because you do need to instantiate that new dynamically loaded module on the fly. And I'm not aware of any WASI side work to do this sort of on the fly dynamic instantiation of modules without JavaScript. So I think for, for true dynamic loading to work, obviously there's dark side work, which uh, Kevin knows a lot more about, but then WASI would also need to invest a lot in, in providing these capabilities to dynamically instantiate WebAssembly modules at runtime. And I, I don't think that's been started yet. Okay, and is, is WASI a W3C um, controlled specification? It's uh, slightly complicated, but, <laughs> but big picture, yes. Uh, so all of the WASI standardization work is done in a subgroup of the uh, WebAssembly W3C community group. So yes, it, it's pretty much the same organization. Okay. I only ask that because I, I think historically W3C process tends to be rather protracted things. So if, if something needs to be incorporated at that level, it you know it might be quite a while before anybody sees some kind of usable implementation, uh, given that the standard itself might, might take a little while to codify. Yes. Uh, okay. And then, so I have a, um, a semi-related question. It might be a totally different question of technologies and roadmap, but it got me thinking... One of the great things about Flutter for Web, whether you're using Flutter for Web apps or even for web pages, is that you're no longer confined or forced through the document object model and box layout. You can represent content in any code-based structure you choose, and you can lay it out. You have render object level control over the layout, which means sizing, spacing, painting, etc., uh, the trade-off, however, for that flexibility is that every browser does not ship with a pre-compiled implementation of your document structure, your data structure, or your layout implementation. And that's essentially, that's at a kind of high level, why we spend time downloading all this extra stuff for Flutter is because we're downloading the primitives that are then used to rebuild an alternative to the document object model and box layout. But that gets me to thinking, in this WASM world that we're describing, uh, I guess Kevin or Thomas, if either of you have any insight into this, is there a, a move towards a world where browsers begin to acknowledge specific versions of APIs and their associated implementation, essentially components or packages, and kind of becomes a repository locally for commonly used packages 
such that if literally every Flutter app in existence needs package A, that package A might be cached in the browser and all the Flutter apps you visit after that can reuse that package instead of downloading it again? Great question. Um, I don't know if Tom, I mean, so, gosh, 10 years ago plus, right? There was this world where like, well, everyone uses the CDN version of jQuery. We all can share it effectively, the same version, right? Um, and so, you know, you had strongly, strongly named URIs and all these CDNs were out there. And then the realization was, you have, I should do a. I need to do this blog post, which is like why we can't have nice things on the web. The amount of work and things that are hard because of bad actors is really, it's so bad, it's hilarious. And so this is one of those things. People figured out that this is one way to do cross-site tracking is that if I try to go download an, uh, an asset and I get a 304, I know someone's been somewhere before, right? And this could become the tracking factor. And so basically now you you have a per host hashing boundary. So if you have a thousand Flutter web apps that all use the exact same version of the Flutter engine and the same, you know, our same CDN cache of the Flutter engine, you have a thousand separate downloads of that thing to make sure that no one can track your access to the stuff. So that's like, you know, this is I don't know if people paid attention, but this has changed the last 10 years on the web. So it's great for privacy. It's really annoying for this reason. There have been vague discussions about ways to deal with this, and it gets into some re really interesting cryptography and privacy preserving. You know, pe people talk about this crazy stuff where, like, you can do, you know, homomorphic encryption and things where you can basically, like, have encrypted data but still run queries over it or still do computation over encrypted data. It's bananas. And so there's related things in this space, which is, like, if a package is sufficiently popular, um, are there ways to non-deterministically cache things locally while still preserving privacy. So these are very abstract, high-level discussions. Um, so it's in the realm of possible, and it's, it's something that has been discussed. But as far as I know, no plans have been formalized there. But it's something that is being discussed. And the only issue there is you need a package to be sufficiently popular where it's and used by enough people on the internet where the caching would work. So that's a little bit up in the air. But I will say that there is discussion about um, at least high-level at the browser implementation level about making that possible because it is annoying. Totally agree. Okay, got it. Uh, we do have some more audience questions, but Ray, let me also give you a chance to jump in here. Would you like to ask any of your questions before we move on to more audience questions? I also want to be a little bit careful uh, yes. about time because we're about 25 minutes over and I, I actually have, oh, okay. and I have a meeting here. We're supposed to do about five minutes. I can go a little bit longer. I just want to make sure we're, we're conscious of time. Well, yeah, um, we can definitely start wrapping up. I will give Ray one chance to jump in since I, I've sucked up most of the air in the room. Uh, there is a thread going on here. So, Kevin, if you happen to come back to the thread, maybe you'll want to directly opine there. And we'll we'll start quickly wrapping this thing up uh, because we, we have a tendency in this space to just keep going until there are no more topics. But obviously, you know, you guys have real jobs to do over there instead of me and Ray putting around with Flutter and Dart uh, all day. So, uh, Ray, go ahead and jump in with, with one of your questions, and then we'll try to, to, to get this thing wrapped up. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, you've done a great job addressing uh, getting to uh, the audience questions, which I think our audience really appreciates. So thank you for that. Uh, so, Kevin, I'd like your help in understanding if you can walk me through and the audience through um, the Flutter Canvas, Flutter Web, Flutter Canvas Kit, and then where does... Uh, Flutter Wasm actually uh, 
where does your work on WASM uh, tie in to the Flutter web day to day? Um, so we, you mentioned that we do have Canvas Kit, and that's the rendering engine. And from what I understand, we're not making any changes to that. Um, but now you're taking parts of uh, the previous JavaScript code and you're compiling it into these WASM modules that then you're able to run a lot quicker. Um, yeah, if you want to take it from there, like walk me through the work that you do on Flutter Web, and then how does like what part of that is the WASM work? Sure. So actually, I'm going to share um, just because I want the views. Um, I'm joking. I'm going to share my talk from <laughs> um, my talk from uh, March, which it's always good when you give a talk and it's still relevant. You know, almost nine months ago. Um, I just posted um, a reply to this, um, a talk from my talk I gave at Wasm IO in March of, uh, of this year. Um, and I actually give a nice view of the stack, like the technology stack. So currently in stable right now, we compile your Flutter code and the engine code and everything to JavaScript. And then we bind to this WebAssembly module called Canvas Kit. That's kind of the default stack. We do have the existing HTML renderer which does not use Canvas Kit, it just renders the DOM. And we're slowly discontinuing that. We'd like people off that. There's just too many bugs and too many issues, and it's hard for us to get full fidelity there. So I think for the, the purposes of this conversation, we kind of consider the HTML renderer, we're going to, we're slowly working on getting rid of it. We're going to make sure that we kind of check perf things and some compatibility things, but it's going away. So you have a JS to WASM binding today. Where we're going to go is, um, We've done tweaks to Canvas Kit so that instead of exposing a JS API that we bind to, it's going to expose a WASM API. And then, and so this is engineering engineers naming things. But it's called Squasm, where SK stands for Skia, but Skia and WASM is already Canvas Kit. So the name is weird, but I love Jackson. Jack is Jackson's idea. So in that world, what we're going to do is we're going to bind WASM straight to WASM with no JS layer in the middle, which means lots of things are fast. That's all. Um, there is some interesting nuance there, which is, um, and what Squasm also has is multi-threaded rendering, which is super exciting, which means that we could actually use web workers in the browser and do rasterization off-thread, which means we could actually leverage the fact that you have multiple cores on your devices. That means we put less pressure on that render thread, so you'll have less jank. Everything's better. So that's something else we get with this new Squasm model is multi-threaded rendering. And I think we're moving to a model where we should be able to use, even if you compile and you're running JavaScript, the JavaScript should still be able to use Squasm and do multi-threaded rendering. So um, it will end up being an implementation detail for most people. You know, you'll see a binary there that's Canvas Kit, and then whether it's JavaScript or Wasm that your app is compiled into, it'll talk to that module to do rendering. Um, you'll just have better plumbing, frankly. Great, great. A uh, quick, uh, quick, I guess, implementation question. Uh, so a lot of uh, Flutter developers depend on Firebase. And we've recently uh, just got, you know, Firebase for uh, Windows for a lot of uh, uh, Mac OS, so Google sign-in for Mac OS, and then auth for Windows. Uh, so those are all uh, based on a lot of uh, C libraries. Uh, but for web, uh, Firebase is using uh, the JavaScript libraries. Uh, 
will will we have any issues do you foresee any issues with uh, uh with flutter web and firebase with uh the wasm changes i just met with puff and friends i believe it was last week to talk about this um there's not gonna be there's not gonna be a change there so we're gonna keep using the js api and repping the js api because there's specifics to how the browser works right like the way the networking works the way the caching works in the browser using local storage and everything else um it's highly web specific so we will need to migrate all the flutter fire packages over to use package web and you know js interop these new these new mechanisms um the team wasn't super happy about that because obviously that's just a lot of work to do the migration. Um, so we need to make sure we're going to resource that and we'll make sure that work gets done. Um, so, you know, we've speculated like, oh, we could take, you know, you know, you could source all of, you know, Firebase and C or C++ and compile the WASM and like, it's not quite factored that way. So I'm, my, my guess is, and again, I don't, I'm not, I'm not responsible for that team or their libraries, but my, my guess is that we'll keep having um, a wrapper around the existing JS APIs on the web. Thank you, but just more work for their team. Yeah, so. <laughs> which is, which always makes everyone using Firebase a bit nervous. <laughs> right, um, yeah. Thankfully, some, hopefully some of the stuff will be straight, relatively straightforward. So, um, you know, hopefully we can find people to help us there. But yeah, we'll need to do a migration. All right. Uh, well, for the sake of time, um, thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, I'm uh, I'm good on my end. Uh, I'll hand it back to Matt. Okay. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and start wrapping things up. I think that's been 90 minutes of excellent uh, introduction and coverage of WebAssembly and how it relates a bit to Dart and to Flutter. Kevin, before we do the final uh, kind of outro here, is there anything you'd like to plug on your end? Sure. Um. I'm Kev Move most places. Um, and, you know, Slava is here listening. If you look at the, you know, and Yegor and Parker are here. I'm looking at kind of familiar faces um, for other people to follow that are um, deep in our ecosystem. Looks like John Ryan took off. Uh, um, the place to watch, obviously, if you're, you know, following me on Twitter, X, whatever they're calling it these days, um, you'll get updates. Um, and then there's also a webpage, uh, flutter.dev slash wasm. And so that's, if you're listening to this in the future and you want to know what's the current story today, you know, you're listening in April of 2024 or whatever, flutter.dev slash WASM will have links to all the latest stuff. It redirects to the, the landing page and that'll be the place to find out the latest story of where we are today and some hints about where we're going in the future with our WASM support. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. And as a reminder, uh, this space does have a thread on Twitter slash X. Uh, and so... If anybody on the Dart and Flutter side would like to look at some of those questions, you might choose to jump in there and provide answers. And audience members here today, you might check out that thread over the coming days to see if any new answers appear there. Uh, now, as we finish up here, Ray, would you like to tell people uh, what you do and where they can find you? I'll do the same and we'll close out shop. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, you can follow me um, by tapping on my profile and I work on Codelessly. Uh, so lots of exciting stuff there. Okay, thanks, Ray. Again, uh, my name is Matt Carroll. I provide proprietary Dart and Flutter development uh, services at superdeclarative.com. I also run the Flutter Bounty Hunters, where we work exclusively on open source Flutter and Dart packages. So if your team would like to outsource the development of shared tools rather than keep reinventing the wheel, go check out flutterbountyhunters.com. Again, the date today is December 20th, 2023. This has been Flutter Spaces. Thanks again to Kevin and uh, also all the people from the Dart and Flutter teams who joined us today and all of you in the audience who took the time to ask questions. We look forward to seeing you again 